Hello and welcome to Gilead. I'm Rebecca, one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you found us. Gilead is a queer storytelling bar church that meets Sunday nights at 5 on Chicago's far north side. July 31st, 2022, we wrapped up our Hammered and Nailed series, stories of sex, drugs, and booze, with an absolute banger from student pastor Hannah Phillips Mullenkamp. Do you want to tip a dancer? Jenny screamed drunkenly over the music, eyes alight with unbridled glee and just a little hint of mischief. We were swaying at the edge of the crowded dance floor at a pride dance party earlier this summer, actually, in the Texas town where I went to college and where I'd gone to my very first pride a few years prior, also with Jenny. That first pride had been much tamer by comparison. We tabled and handed out water at the big town block party with our very queer little church. I'd been 20. Now I was 24 and forging into the drinking and dancing side of Pride for the first time. I probably would have gotten there sooner, but there was, you know, a pandemic. With those very same church friends at my side, Jenny, Crystal, and Laura, people who taught me that I could be queer and Christian and joyfully showed me how to be more of both. We were several drinks in and we were watching as a troupe of very talented and diverse burlesque dancers moved gorgeously on the low stage of the outdoor bar slash venue. There was a tiny drag king in red leather and cowboy boots swinging this matching red lasso. A woman in her 60s whom I sincerely hoped to become one day. <laughs> and several others, all expertly working the crowd who were eating it up and just generally having a really good time. Between the heat of the Texas summer and the lights and the pounding music and the cold craft beer and the unbridled joy in the air, the whole thing had this kind of dreamlike quality to it, especially after, you know, years of no or less pride. And I was utterly mesmerized, just floating, high on the energy of the space and disbelieved that I was actually finally here and felt like I belonged. Jenny looked up at me expectantly, waiting for my answer. The lights flashed off of Jenny's long purple hair and matching glasses. And I glanced between my friend and this curvy femme performer with long blonde hair and tight pink velour bell bottoms. I hadn't been able to take my eyes off them since they'd gotten on stage. I mean, yeah, I admitted, but I don't have any cash. I have cash, Jenny beamed, patting the fanny pack Jenny wore with was leaven with the word babe and giant block letters in the colors of the my flag, our flag. Are you sure? I, I don't want to take your money. Of course! I'm a good gay mom! <laughs> Jenny was already pulling out bills. The fanny pack was stuffed. Jim and Donna know Jenny. <laughs> I laughed knowing that my friend meant it, but still I hesitated. Jenny, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> You'll have to come with me. And Jenny grinned a grin that said, obviously. And after I accepted the cash, we plunged into this undulating crowd together working our way through the sweaty revelers until we were right in front of the performer I'd been eyeing. And Jenny turned to me and held up a couple of ones. Hold them out like this! They'll tell you where to put it! <laughs> and I dutifully copied my self-proclaimed gay mom, holding the bills out towards the edge of the stage and waiting. And the dancer saw us and she gave this like soft little smile which instantly turned my legs to jelly. And she picked her way over to us in this leisurely manner, gyrating all the while. And just as Jenny had said she would, indicated with a gesture that Jenny had tucked the money under the strap of her tiny pink sequin triangle top, which barely covered anything. And then she leaned toward me, pulling the other strap forward. And before I could lose my nerve, I slipped the three dollars Jenny had given me underneath. And she smiled and she batted these long lashes at me. 
Thank you, she purred over the bounding base, her face close enough to mine that she didn't have to yell. Thank you, I shot back, which is maybe a dumb thing to say, like accidentally telling the waiter you two when they say it was a real meal. Jenny caught my eye and grinned again, eyes shining with what was clearly love and pride. And I smiled back, feeling tipsy and giddy and free. And we danced and drank on late into the night. And the next morning, we got up and we went to church. The same church where we met and become friends, and the same church that took me to that first Bible four years ago. So there's this book of the Bible that, in my personal opinion, doesn't get nearly enough attention. It's Song of Solomon, aka the Song of Songs, aka the only love poem in the Bible, aka a literal ode to erotic love and sexuality. Maybe you've heard of it. And often in Christian spaces, when we do talk about it, there's this tendency to allegorize it, meaning we say, oh, it's just a bit of love between Christ and his church. <laughs> anyway, let's go read Paul. He knows about sex. <laughs> but like, if you actually go and read the thing, that is really, really hard to believe. Let me give you an example. This is from chapter four. How sweet is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips distill nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The scent of your garments is like the scent of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A garden locked, a fountain sealed. Your channel is an orchard of pomegranates. With all choicest fruits, henna, with nard, nard, and saffron, calamus, and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, with all cheap spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. So side note, in the New Revised Standard Version, there's a note on the word channel, which says, meaning of Hebrew, uncertain. <laughs> Blow upon my garden, 
that its fragrance may be wafted abroad. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with my spice. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. So scholars identify three different speakers in this column, and we get them all right here. First, there's the woman responding to her lover's description of what is clearly her vagina, <laughs> saying, well, if it's so good, come and get it. <laughs> and he responds saying, okay, I get it. <laughs> and then there's this little piece, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love, that kind of feels like it almost doesn't belong. And that's because in the poem itself, there's this third speaker, which is this sort of audience that like is within the piece, occasionally responding to the things that the lovers are saying. So there's community present in this poem, which is really interesting. And I just love this line because it's so clearly like an invitation and encouragement, right? To the lovers in the poem, yes, but to the reader too, to us. Because the thing about the way this poem is written is that the lovers aren't specific people. Like they were made up by the poet to represent all lovers and to make this point that love, erotic love sometimes, is intoxicating. And we have permission, even a mandate maybe, to get intoxicated on it. It's right here in the Bible. Eat up, drink up, enjoy. This is a good, good thing. And I think the reason that this allegorizing of song songs by Christians especially bugs me so much is because I think we lose something when we say that in order to belong in this collection of sacred texts, it has to be directly about God somehow and also can't be about sex. I don't think that's true. I don't think we have to allegorize or sanitize this text. Like, you also you can't, you cannot sanitize it. It is what it is. I don't think we have to do that in order for it to belong and to be holy. And I think we can maybe just let it be holy and good and maybe even enjoy it. Like love, like sexuality, like getting a little drunk on love or cocktails with your friends or your lover or your lovers, like a dance party, like performing or appreciating a good performance, like rejoicing in who you are, all of who you are, including your sexuality. And I did have some feelings about going to my first more, shall we say, debaucherous pride event. <laughs> Not like a lot of feelings, but like a little nagging in the back of my mind. Like, what would the people in charge of ordaining you say if they knew you were out here tucking sweaty dollar bills into burlesque dancers' very tight pants? Because yes, obviously, Jenny kept giving me cash. Because Jenny is a self-proclaimed good gay mom. And obviously, I kept tipping those performers because they fucking earned it. And obviously, Jenny taught Max how to do it, too, because Jenny is our gay mom, collectively. Don't think about it too much. And obviously, I got my gorgeous queer church friends because they know how to party, and they raised me right. But the part of pride that is sexy and sweaty and not at all family-friendly, however you define that, is just as important as the block parties and parades and drag queen story hours because yes, we are more than our sexualities, but our sexual and gender identities are why pride is a thing. And those moments of getting hammered and nailed, those, those are pride moments. Those are sacred. You don't have to sanitize 
or spin elaborate explanations as to why. We can just say that they are and mean it and love it, like we should do with Sonic Songs. Yeah. <laughs> and what I realized when I rolled up to my beloved home church the next morning with my friends, Laura and Jenny, who are both becoming pastors, and we stood in a crowd that had just a slightly different vibe than the night before, but was still extremely gay and extremely into the music, and watched our friend Crystal, the worship leader, gushing on stage about how amazing the Pride dance party was last night and the importance of queer community, which was also our church community. What I realized as we swayed to the music and sang and hugged each other, sober and exhausted, maybe a little bit hungover, but still drunk on love for God and ourselves and each other, is that we ultimately go to church and pride for a lot of the same reasons. We go to remind each other of who we are, and who we are is good and beloved and family and free. And we go to remind each other of why we're here, which is love and life and liberation for everybody. And both things are holy. Whether the stage holds worship leaders or burlesque dancers, whether our cups hold grape juice or cocktails for beer, if we're being ourselves with the people we love, people who love us for who we are, God loves it. God is there. And the lovers in Song of Songs aren't without their challenges. There are a few parts where the woman describes searching for her beloved in the city, where she encounters sentinels, guards, and, and they beat her. She also describes longing to be able to kiss her beloved outside in front of everyone in a world where, quote, no one would despise her for doing so. And this is ostensibly a heterosexual couple, but these sound like pretty queer problems to me. But those moments don't stop them from celebrating boldly and unapologetically what they have and who they are, what they long for, how fucking good it is. And that, that ended up in our holy book. The same book that's been used to hurt so many of us. <coughs> and it's enough to make your head explode. And it's also amazing and powerful and liberating. And I think if we take anything away from this very old and very erotic piece, it should be that we should do the same as much as we can. We should celebrate everything we possibly can. We should tell these stories in church and everywhere. Because they are holy and so are you. These stories belong to us and we belong to God and to each other. So eat, friends, drink, and be kind of love.